Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Just walk with your Hi, welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. I am Monica Richardson and I am your host. Today is August 27th, 2013 and we're doing an early show at noon here today in Los Angeles, California because we have Dr. Roy Escapa calling in all the way from Finland and I'm going to introduce him. I think he is in the queue, which I'm so excited about. Uh, Dr. Roy Escapa, who is a PhD, was born in 1955 in South Africa he graduated international school in Geneva in 74, re-college in 78 with a Bachelor of Arts degree and California School of Professional Psychology in 1983. Um, he did a postdoc in multimodal therapy with Professor Arnold Lazarus. And uh, let's see, he is a chartered psychologist and associate fellow British Psychology Society. Uh, worked with Dr. David Sinclair of the National Public Health Institute in Finland in 1989 to present on deprivation effects on pharmacological extinction for addictions. And he published his first book on pharmacological extinction or the Sinclair Method, the TSM, the Cure for Alcoholism, in 2008. And it's been updated with an intro by actress Claudia Christian, which we had on here with her book, Babylon uh, Confidential, which is a great book, which was released in November 2012, with certainly not enough promotion here in the United States, but uh, I think that's going to change. So I have the book in front of me, and without any further ado, we're going to bring Dr. Escapa on. Hi there. Hello. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, good evening. I'm actually in London. Oh, okay. Very happy to be on your show. I was just two weeks ago with Dr. Sinclair in Finland. How is he doing? He's doing very well. He uh, carries on with his research, and um, I was very ple- we were very pleased to see each other. I am really, really happy to have you on the show. So I am looking at your book, The Cure for Alcoholism. I think it's a new cover, and it's really a nice-looking book, nice cover and intro from Claudia. Yeah, that's correct. Claudia has been quite instrumental in getting the word out that there's now a, an effective medical treatment for a medical problem, the medical problem being uh, addiction to alcohol. So um, I'd like you to start talking about it because there seems to be even a lot of clinicians here that don't understand it and don't want to promote it quite yet. I don't, I don't understand why, you know what I mean? Um so do you want to just talk about what it is that you've you know you've been working on like well, listeners are out there traditional, the traditional treatments have been abstinence based and faith based treatments and they've not been uh, uh allocated uh, a medical status um and this has been the main problem first the traditional treatments work on detection what Sinclair calls the D approach you have to detect the, and diagnose the person so that they come forward and they say, oh, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. 
They then delay treatment, which is usually a 28-day uh, detention in detox, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, is very expensive and is often uh, very unsuccessful. I mean, according to the World Health Organization uh, and the uh, NIAAA, NIDA, NIH in the USA and British Health Department, the success rates are very low, 5 to uh, 15% at maximum. In other words, you're dealing with failure rates of 85 to 95% uh, levels of uh, relapse back to heavy drinking. Mm -hmm. And most of these treatments are very expensive. They, uh, they, they, the only medical treatment that's in the, available is disulfiram or antabuse, which is a form of punishment. They give a medication which makes people violently nauseous and can be fatal in some cases mm -hmm. if they drink alcohol. We know from all the research that this doesn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, with the Sinclair method or pharmacological extinction, which I'll explain, there is no delay. Treatment can begin immediately. Uh, and there's no detox because the patient starts drinking immediately with the provisor that they take naltrexone. I'll explain that later. That is an, a medication that's very safe and um, it blocks the opioid or endogenous endorphins or opiates that are released when an individual consumes alcohol. Uh, there's no disulfiram uh, and they don't have to be detained. So you don't have to say to your boss, I'm going uh, away for uh, 28 <laughs> days because right. I need treatment. Will my job still be waiting for me? Right. Uh, one of the things that Dr. Sinclair uh, dis discovered, and this was a great breakthrough, and explains why the traditional treatments don't work, is something called the alcohol deprivation effect. Mm -hmm. That means, uh, going back to how alcoholism is acquired, uh, alcoholism is a learned condition. You need two things in order to uh, lose control over your drinking, and that is that you have to have a genetic predisposition we think, and we're pretty sure, that it is a mutation on the mu opioid receptor, and you have to drink. If you have this mutation, this genetic predisposition, and you never drink, you'll never acquire the addiction. Mm -hmm. So about 10 to 15% of the normal population is carrying this genetic predisposition. And when they drink alcohol, there is a release of endorphin in the brain, which is especially reinforcing. Now, this doesn't happen overnight. It takes months, even years, before loss of control over drinking occurs. Mm -hmm. And once it is established, the wiring, the mechanism in the brain that keeps the addiction going, called the opioid system, this is the system that has the opioid receptors and are, is responsible for such things as morphine being a painkiller, and uh, when you go jogging, there is a, a runner's high, and that's endorphin release. It's a very important uh, um, neurotransmitter which acts like a hormone. And right. over, over time, this system becomes uh, entrenched in the brain and the nervous system, and it never, ever goes away. So that one drink, uh, even after 10 or 20 years of abstinence, can lead to a massive relapse cause of this deprivation effect. You can put somebody in a mental prison or a physical prison, the mental prison being, I will not drink, and the craving remains high. For some people, the craving may go down a bit um, subjectively, but one drink, as AA says, um, and it's all over. They back to massive, uh, massive relapse which has happened to some famous actors. I don't know whether I can mention their names, but mm -hmm. yeah, um, I, I know famous are, actors yeah. in the United States. Well, there was one particular comedian who was abstinent for 20 years and um, had one drink and he relapsed and he went to uh, uh, relapse so bad that he almost died and he went to a boot camp type of rehab center 
which denigrates and humiliates uh, him. And, uh, well, he's back on track. And what we say is that for those people for whom the traditional methods, the 12 steps, AA, other spiritual methods are working for abstinence, hats off to you. You do not need pharmacological extinction or the Sinclair method. But, you know, I want to say this, because I'm hearing from a lot of people who are drinking successfully after um, abstinence for many years, and um, that, you know, there's... I believe, and you know, this is just because I talked to a lot of people who've left and people who it didn't work for, that the problem with those famous stars, and you know, I know the stories of whether it's Mel Gibson or Robert Williams or um, there's another one that I can't remember his name right now, that, they've, that when they take that first drink, they're very, very programmed. They have been brainwashed psychologically from AA for 20 years. And I do think that if you drink believing all that crap, you, it's a setup for disaster, that one needs to deprogram, one needs to get away from it, that that would have, I mean, have you had this discussion or are you aware of all of us that are, you know, there's people that have done it that are proving that it's absolutely ridiculous that even people who are drinking very heavily um, drink again, uh, but very consciously go to harm reduction first or go to moderation and, and read these books you know, have you talked to people that have been very successful? Well, yes, but they're few and far between. Uh, it's it's uh, if somebody is truly conditioned to and has learned the addiction, it pretty much is an either or kind of situation. There are there are exceptions, of course, mm-hmm. um, but we've also had um, terrible problems with. Uh, moderated drinking, unless it is done with naltrexone. Um, we cannot uh, condone the use of moderated drinking. The data simply just doesn't uh, uh, support it. So let's Without talk about it because people are, yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a good discussion to have, and maybe I should be keeping uh, track, right, and uh, do my own little study with a group of people. But let's, I know you have a lot to offer, so I'd like to, I, I do want to stay on track with that and not get off on my track, <laughs> which is what I just said. So um, if somebody is, the difference between an, is somebody dependent and somebody who's just abusing, so what, what would you say, how do you figure that out? Well, we think the first mistake is, is dependence and tolerance. The common uh, understanding is that people develop a dependence and a tolerance. But mm-hmm. um, if you remove alcohol from them for three months, four months, a year, whatever, um, their, their dependence and their tolerance goes away. Mm-hmm. But yet they still remain addicted. They'll still relapse back to heavy drinking if they've had one drink. Um, how many people have this, you know, in the study? I mean, how many people have been studied? Well, you're way? looking at in in Finland itself, there's seventy thousand cases and thousands around the world. The largest study, which was done, which was uh, in the United States, Project Combine, well over a thousand uh, patients. Basically, what it said is, if they take naltrexone, should be made available to them. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they will not get help. And the American Medical Association published this, but they didn't publish it with the correct directions. If so, naltrexone itself, the medication, if you or I took it, not, you wouldn't feel anything. But if you took it and you uh, drink, you still get uh, uh, drunk. You still have the effects gradually over three to four months. The actual craving and the actual drinking levels diminish within three to four months for most people, but some people can take as long as eight to ten months before they show um, significant decline in um, their actual drinking levels and their craving. And they start saying things like, well, I stop uh, thinking about it. I stop looking forward to that drink. It's it's lost control. And they say, you know, I was never able to leave a glass of wine behind or mm-hmm. I was never able to leave half a bottle in the refrigerator, and my life is so much better. And about a third of them decide to abstain completely because the addiction has been physiologically removed from their brain. But two-thirds of them 
continue to go on drinking and they do so but they know that there's a golden rule. They always take the naltrexone before. This is to prevent relapse. It's the same thing as using a condom for safe sex because if they right. start drinking without the naltrexone, they can relearn their um, addiction and they can relearn it. Some will relearn it over a few uh, days, others over a few weeks, but they'll get back to their original drinking levels and there's there's literally hundreds of animal laboratory studies followed by studies, about 90 studies now with humans, which show that if you take naltrexone with abstinence, it will fail. But if you take it while you continue to drink, you will regain control over your drinking with a, a success rate of about 80%. And what we mean by success is yes. World Health Organization drinking limits. Um, which are about 18 units per week for a woman or 24 for a man and no more than five units in any single drinking session. I want to give you some uh, really good news. I interviewed a man in Colorado for my film. I'm making a film called The 13th Step, which is exposing you know a lot of bad stuff going on in A in the community, but I'm going to also be educating people on the other options. There are seven now, I like to say, six programs, and the seventh is using naltrexone with the Sinclair Method, and hopefully people will be handed your book instead of the big book. But in the state of Colorado, one man alone has changed the whole uh, paradigm. No one is sent to the courts to um, AA anymore. They're sent to SMART, and they're given the option of taking naltrexone. Well, that's very good. As long Isn't that as great? they take naltrexone, it's wonderful news. But I, I must point out that naltrexone if given with instructions to abstain, is entirely worthless. It's not like taking a blood pressure medication right. where you don't have to do anything or an antidepressant or an anti-cholesterol medication or a, an antibiotic for an infection where you don't actually have to do something. With the Sinclair method, TSM, or pharmacological extinction, you actually have to do the behavior and you have mm -hmm. to do it one hour after taking the medication so that the opioid system is blocked. There's no more reinforcement coming to the, to the opioid system, and hence there's a weakening of the mechanism that drives the addiction, the wiring, the neural network that the opioid system is weakened so that the brain is reset pretty much back to the state it was in before the addiction was learned. You like now a 14 or 16 year old who hasn't had a drink uh, before. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's wonderful news what you say, but my only fear is that in uh, that state, is it Colorado that you mm -hmm. mentioned? Mm -hmm. Well, um, if they are giving naltrexone with instructions to abstain, as a huge study of 627 VA hospital alcoholics. Uh, proved in the New England Journal of Medicine in the year 2000. It was published by Crystal, Prof. Crystal and others. Um, the medication uh, fails. Now, trexone plus abstinence equals failure. Now, trexone taken one hour before drinking, together with drinking, the formula is now trexone, one uh, 50 milligram tablet, one hour before drinking equals ultimate success. And this mm. is my fear, is that they will be giving the medication the way the crystal uh, study of the, in the New England Journal of Medicine, which really set back the um, whole concept of naltrexone because people and doctors think it is the medicine itself that is doing the, a the action, that it's an active ingredient. Nothing could be further from the truth. What really uh, happened, what you really need to do is extinguish and remove the addiction. The only way you can do it is um, by taking the medication, blocking the opioid receptors from the endorphins release so they stop reinforcing the system. Mm -hmm. And this doesn't happen overnight. It, ha it takes uh, three to four months minimum on average. And... Uh, they have to keep taking this medicine for the rest of their life. 
but they drink less and less. So they take less and less of the medicine, which is generic and very inexpensive, and therefore there's no financial incentive for the pharmaceutical companies to push it. You can get it from multiple manufacturers. And the other thing is, unlike uh, an antidepressant, which one takes every, every day for years, or cholesterol pills you take statins for the rest of your life every day, this, the better you get, the less you take. So there's less financial incentive. But again, getting back to Colorado, it mm-hmm. would be tragic if they gave the patients now trek. I, I don't think they are. I, yeah, well, I mean, I can call my friend. I'm going to talk to him today. Yeah. yeah, I don't think they are doing it the wrong way because I know that um, Claudia had referred a bunch of people to a local physician here, and he was telling them to take it first thing in the morning, as well as a blogger, Gunther, who I also interviewed for my film, who originally, you know, they didn't tell him how to take it right, and he took it in the morning, and it made him really cranky. And then, well, I, I asked him if he wants to call in, because he's in the chat room right now, and I, okay. uh, the number is 818-475-9211. I'm talking to Dr. Roy Escapa, who wrote... The uh, Cure for Alcoholism, The Medically Proven Way to Eliminate Alcohol Addiction. Great, great book, and I've been so busy. I haven't had time to read it, but I'm going to. And I think, uh, so anyway, I want to get back here. What, so somebody's called in here. I'm not sure if this is, uh, let's see what, um, hold on a second. Hi, caller, are you live? Do you have a question or a comment? Hello, how are you doing? It's Gunther. Oh, hi, Gunther. <laughs> okay, so go ahead. Tell the meet the Dr. Roy Escapa and the Dr. Meet Gunther. <laughs> He's someone who's used Naltrexone very successfully. Hi, hi, hi. Gun- I, I um initially the doctor told me to take it in the morning, and um, I felt that it made me feel nervous at work. Um, I don't know if that's a side effect. But I decided I would take it after work, which was right about the time I'd start drinking. And many times I actually just washed it down with the first drink. But um, the effects were immediate and profound. Um, I found myself drinking less almost right away. Um, It just gave me, it it made me feel like, you know, you wouldn't want to sit down and drink you know, 14 or 15 Coca-Colas because you feel bloated. (laughs) But when you drink alcohol for some reason, you know, if you're an alcoholic, then then that doesn't bother you. You just keep drinking it. Well, with the naltrexone, it was uh, completely different. It was the way it should be. I just felt bloated and uh, like I didn't really want to drink much more. And over the course of uh, three or four months, I was able to completely abstain, and then um, I stopped taking the naltrexone. I heard you say people have to take it for the rest of their lives? Only when they drink. Only one hour before drinking. You do not... Okay. The, the, the directions of taking it in the morning are incorrect. They, it must be taken one hour before drinking, not together. Not You don't wash it down with the first drink. Uh, you've got to have the opioid system blocked. It just so happened that um, by taking it with the first drink, well, you got re- a bit of reinforcement in the beginning, uh, but then after half an hour, the medicine uh, was uh, in your brain blocking the effects, and that's why you felt uh, less craving. But let's not f- forget, uh, alcohol addiction is a very powerful addiction. It can be overwhelming. So it it doesn't go away overnight. We often have had artifacts of people doing it for 10 days and they think they're cured. This, nothing again could be further from the truth. It takes, it took months, years to learn to get to be so addicted, to crave and to lose control. It doesn't go away. You don't extinguish or unlearn the addiction overnight. But uh, I get your point that you, when you took it with, uh, together with washing it down, you then felt its effects. It's an incorrect direction to take it early in the morning. Some people will get certain side effects 
but um, those usually go away and you do not take naltrexone for the rest of your life only on occasions when you are going to drink or at risk of drinking it should always be on your person um gunther right, do you know anybody who i mean you were drinking was it like 16 beers a day when you first started to take the naltrexone is that correct yeah it depended so a light day would be like 12 beers and a heavy day would be a case of beer probably Wow, and so, so tell us drinking. how the progression went. Yeah, this is a good story. So tell us how the progression the nal- went. Well, once you started taking the naltrexone. Oh, geez. Well, within a short period of time, I was uh, I just didn't feel like I needed that much. I was down to four or five beers, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. so I started going for the really high-end uh, microbrewery beers. I don't know why. Uh, I just right. felt like I wanted wanted to continue drinking at that point, and if I was drinking less, I could afford some really good stuff, right? And try to enjoy it. But after after about uh, three or four months, I saw that my goal was attainable, you know. And the goal had always been to quit drinking. I had been in and out of relapse, and you know that in and right. out of detox several times. Yeah. Um, it was just maintaining consistency with that goal was so, so difficult. But um, with the naltrexone, it became apparent that that I could maintain consistency with that goal. Mm. So I quit. Great. Thank you, Gunther. Thanks for calling in. I'm going to put you back on hold. All right. It's All right. nice Thanks. to talk to you. Yes, thank you. Thanks for calling in. I know you had a good uh, story to tell. I'll talk to you later. Put you on hold. Okay, so um, there we have somebody, a good example of, uh, he was a blogger that I met early on when I was uh, leaving AA who actually really helped me a lot with finding that there were different programs out there. I didn't know anything existed, and I had certainly some family members who were having an issue. So let me give you an example. Say you have somebody who's drinking about two-fifths a week, all right, of hard alcohol. And they just uh, would you? They want to quit for right now. I mean, be abstinent. Is that enough to make somebody be dependent? That amount? Are you asking me? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. Well, it depends. If if the individual feels they've lost control, if it's interfering with their life, with their health, with their relationships, then um, they are candidates for um, treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, and if that much alcohol is um, is doing it, and it sounds like quite a lot. I don't know mm-hmm. how the, what the measures of two-fifths are. I've got them in the book because we've got European measures as well as the United States measures. But if they're drinking more than 24 units a week and uh, more than five units, that's five shots in any single go, Mm -hmm. then um, it is a point at which liver damage starts to happen. You see, with the Sinclair method, the research showed that liver markers improved, depression scores improved. There are a whole range of measures that we take not only actual drinking levels and actual craving levels going down. Right. This is by no means uh, meant as a total abstinence uh, approach. It's, a, it's an approach, and it's, there are 90 studies proving that if you take the naltrexone one hour before drinking, but you uh, take the naltrexone with abstinence, it will mm-hmm. fail. Well, yeah, I, I see that. I mean, I I do know that now, and I think, but I do think there's a real need for what you your book and the use of it in because in our court system, you know, it's become like prohibition over here in California. You know, everybody thinks this is like oh the free state, but no, the Nazis are here with their you know twelve step Nazi mentality even in our court system, and everybody's illegally you know or unconstitutionally getting sent to AA. And that's why the recidivism is so bad when people get, you know, why would somebody have three or four DUIs? It's because they still want to drink. They, the women still want to drink their wine. The guys want to have their beer, their scotch. And what you're, what you're doing and what your book is doing uh, needs to be in front of judges and lawyers and, you know, and say, this is a better option. This is well, the in option. Fact, 
In fact, there was a judge in California called Judge Stevens who was advocating the use of naltrexone for opiate addiction, heroin addiction, OxyContin addiction, and alcohol addiction. But unfortunately, soon, as soon after the first edition was published and we sent it to him, uh, he passed away. And oh um, that's mm-hmm. very, very tragic. Because, and you can watch him, you can find him on YouTube, um, Dr. Judge Stevens and Naltrexone. And he understood that what he said, well, it li- the, the drugs, alcohol or um, opiates light up the brain and this prevents it from lighting up the brain. That's the way he put it. And um, he, he was very, very forward thinking. I think he was started the first drug court in California and, of course, sentencing people to um, abstinence-based, faith-based methods is not going to do anything about the alcohol deprivation effect. They're still going to remain addicted, mm-hmm. even after years. As you mentioned, Robin Williams, 20 years um, he was um, sober, but one drink led him to a massive relapse, which caused him to almost die, and then mm-hmm. he had to go to one of these boot camp type rehabs, which, okay. by the way, after you finished with them, after you go with through the detox, they often give benzodiazepines like Valium or Librium, and then you end up with two addictions. One mm-hmm. Yeah, they're horrible. That's terrible. I mean, you know, he really looked like, I didn't know what happened to him, but he really looked sad for a while. You know what I mean? Like, really, they they want to beat you down. These, these programs are just really yeah. messed up. But I, I, I didn't realize that uh, that it can also help. I see here on page 166, um, opiates, morphine, heroin, and synthetic opiates like OxyContin, the most obvious application for extinction produced with opiate, opiate antagonists, such as naltrexone, is the treatment of addiction to heroin, morphine, OxyContin, or other opiates. Um, indeed, there is already considerable evidence that um, extinction can um, can cure opiate addiction. Can you talk about that? Yes, this is still at the cutting edge. We mm-hmm. can't make the claims because all yeah. the data are not in. But right. um, we we can make an outright claim for alcohol because we've got 90 studies to prove it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't have that many studies to make the claim for cocaine or methamphetamine, which for which the Karolinska Institute in um, in Sweden has has proved in a double-blind placebo-controlled study, amphetamine is attenuated. People just take less and less of it as if they're on naltrexone. But you need more than one study, and you need a huge amount of funding and investment to get the medication approved by the FDA in the USA. But these medicines are um, are not patented, you see. That's the problem. And that's why they're not going to be approved. Who's going to put 20 or $30 million into a study to mm-hmm. um, get this approved by the FDA in the correct manner? So we say we know that for, for non-substance addictions, such as gambling, um, Internet pornography, all kinds of other non-substance uh, addictions which release endorphins, Computer mm-hmm. hacking, for example, that naltrexone is very effective. There was one study funded by the American Gaming Association, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Kim, and they found a 75% success rate in quite a number or quite a large study. So, but we cannot make the, these claims for anything other than alcohol. We can say we've got 90 plus studies for naltrexone with drinking. Um, is effective, but 30 to 40 studies with naltrexone and abstinence will fail, or alcohol. Alcohol um, is by far the biggest problem, by the way. Yeah, I, I mean, I would think so. I, I do think that I've had people on and a lot of discussion with women that, um, you know, there's the crowd, and these are this is not AA people or, you know, 12-step people saying this, that, that there are people who don't like it, that with women who've had trauma that if they go and do, uh, and there's lots of things besides talk therapy these days, you know, I did serious rage work and people who do very, very deep 
a therapeutic work about trauma, whether it's sexual abuse or rape, that many of these women um, are able to drink normally again. And uh, so I'd like to just put that in the mix for you to know that there's plenty of people that once they deal with the trauma, uh, and these are people, though, who have been abstinent for years, that um, that once that trauma is dealt with, that they were never an alcoholic to begin with, even though labeled themselves this word because AA was the prominent modality in the United States. That's right. Um, and that's true. They were probably not... Um, uh, addicted uh, in in a very profound way. They were Mm -hmm. using the medication to self-medicate, as it were, for their trauma, but they they did not have the the genetic predisposition. Their their brains had not become uh, addicted to alcohol. Um, Yeah, I can agree with that. And they were using it for, um, instead of uh, some other medication, yeah. Now, um, have you come over here to speak? Because people really need to hear. You know, you need to talk to doctors in America, like big rooms of them, <laughs> lawyers, and uh, well, I would, <laughs> we gotta, I would, we I would work on a strategy here. <laughs> Sorry, I've been to conferences. I held one. We held one in Kentucky, and we had one in Calgary. But uh, you know, it requires quite an infrastructure to set up. Uh, right. You know, I'm more than willing to do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, we've got we Sinclair has wonderful PowerPoint presentations, a very convincing speaker, and it all makes sense. And they right. the penny when the penny drops before the audience say, My goodness, why didn't we think about it? In fact, in one hospital where he uh, gave a presentation, all the yeah. counselors came up to him, the those who worked with substance abuse and said, Doctor Sinclair, we find your Treatment absolutely makes sense. We're convinced, but we'll be out of a job. Mm. Good. They need to be out of a job. If they've raised all our insurance rates by 25% with their stupid rehab and treatment. And then the law that got passed with the banking bill in 2008, where uh, Mr. Kennedy slipped in there that you know they were going to make it that you can only go to rehab two or three times, and they slipped it onto that bill that you know oh you can't you know be prejudiced against towards people with alcohol or drug problems. Well. If rehab doesn't work after three times, there's something wrong with your rehab, and that's because it's faith-based, you know, uh, AA crap that's you know being taught by a counselor who all he is is sober or clean and gets paid thirteen dollars an hour. So you know, th- they, we need an overhauling. And CNN has been investigating rehab, and it's not going to be the end to it. We have a senator who's investigating that. You know, it's it's a lot of problems here. And you know, I'm going to go to a convention in Las Vegas this week that. Uh, is a bunch of lawyers, and there's going to be AA lawyers there and regular lawyers that deal with DUIs, and they're all making easy money, you know, eight thousand, seven thousand dollars a pop, and you know, oh, just send people to AA. Well, yeah, they like recidivism because you're going to get another DUI, and it keeps them in business. And I'm not interested in that. I have family that you know died behind that kind of stuff. My father, and other people in my family that have had issues, and it needs to stop. And America needs to wake up. And I, I'm so excited, you know, to have met Claudia and a result of meeting her and getting to know her here, you know, in Los Angeles, not just having her on my show and to promote her book, but then to be here talking with you. Because, you know, if I what I normally do is I'll buy a bunch of books or maybe Bella films or whatever, Bella Ben Bella books I can buy at a discounted rate because I'm going to bring them to judges and lawyers and plop it down on their desk and say, here, like read this. Yeah, will they will they read it? That's the whole thing. I mean, I'd be willing uh, to send you a copy. I mean, I I had at my own expense the book translated into Spanish, that, yeah. that PDF. And if it is for educational purposes, I'm pretty sure we can have electronic uh, copies of of the mm. book. And that's a and good why, idea. You know, yes, this is, uh-huh. this is a life work. We're not interested in making money out of the book, and mm-hmm. nor do I think it's the publisher who. Who, it took 50 rejections before somebody would publish this book. I mean, wow. after all, how can you tell an alcoholic to drink is what they're saying. Well, you you can't, except if they uh, take naltrexone, and except if there are 90 studies that support this treatment. Right. And you, do you know Gabrielle Glaser, who wrote Why Women, you know, uh, her best-kept secret? Do you um, know about I've Gabrielle's heard about book? Her through Claudia and... She also wrote for 
uh, Reader's Digest. So, uh, yes, I have heard, definitely. So right uh, now, she yeah, she's going to do a piece about women who actually get helped not through AA, so every other way, which so I know she, I think, interviewed Claudia. And, you know, it's uh, she's writing another piece for Reader's Digest right now. But yes. she also promoted uh, the Sinclair Method, and I don't recall if she... You know, she probably did talk about your book, but she talked about this method, and uh, you know, uh, we talked about it on Katie. Even though I think, uh, well, I mentioned it on Katie Couric's show, but you know, she was. Yeah. It, it's really good, and we do have to educate. And if we could get a digital download of it, as I begin to meet with the lawyers and eventually judges, because somebody's been, we have people being murdered because they're court ordering felons to AA. And I'm going to meet judges because of the murder trial. Uh, but, you know, therapists, too. Like, my therapist sent me an email that they're promoting this movie called The Anonymous People. And I'm like, this is hogwash. This is, like, 2013, guys. We cannot use a faith-healing layman support group that's become very dangerous for a place to send young people and women or anybody uh, you know, we need to have another answer. And there's the six other options. Moderation management's growing. Harm reduction with Ham's network. Gunn Anderson is growing. Smart's yes. a great place for abstinence. But the thing is, is that you have some, there's a lot of people who don't want to stop, Dr. Escarpa. They just don't well, want that's, to. That's correct. They don't have to. That's not That's not the aim of the Sinclair method. Right. I know. The aim is to bring greater control back over your drinking. Now, if one-third of the people want to stop, Fine. If right. two thirds want to want to carry on drinking within safe limits, which are not harmful and safe, that's that's fine. They they do have to take this inexpensive medication mm-hmm. before they drink every time. They can't skip days, if you know what I mean. Right, right. So, so some people end up drinking once a month, some once a week, some every day. Some once a year, but they must always take this medication. And we can help 80%. For some reason, we can't reach 8%. So they may be addicted through another system. We think it's possibly the GABA system in the brain. And another 12% don't comply. They don't take the medication as directed for one or two reasons. They may say that they feel nausea, or, you know, patients don't comply. They don't take their antibiotics when told to. Right, no, right. No treatment is 100% successful. Not mm-hmm. very few. I can't think of one. Um, but certainly, as you as you said, um, the way alcoholism and the, the way it's stigmatized it leaves us back in the dark ages. The way leprosy was once treated, we used to confine leprosy uh to prisons, for example, outside Cape Town, where Nelson Mandela was in prison, that used to be a leper colony, and that's where people lived if they had leprosy, way wow. back to 200, 300 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what, what, one of the really big events, I mean, obviously I think the doctors are really who you need to be in front of here, in the United States, and maybe as things unfold, there could be some kind of a conference that they have, like this one with the lawyers. The drug court has a very big event once a year in the spring. You should be a speaker at that, you know. Um, it gets you on some talk shows, whether it's Bill Maher or... Uh, Bill Maher <laughs> would be a really good one. <laughs> maybe oh, yeah. You can yeah, tweet him. You want to tweet him. Yeah. Uh, he's... <laughs> Quite. I'm not very involved with social media, tweeting and and all of that. But um, Bill Maher would be uh, quite wonderful because the more people that learn about it, the more exposure, the better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you do need somebody who understands basically how the Sinclair method or pharmacological extinction works and why it is so sensible. Um, but you need to get it in front of the right people, the doctors and the public themselves. You know there is a website that readers put together, which has nothing to do with me, called thesinclairmethod.com. And many of them, 
order their naltrexone online from a Canadian pharmacy called River Pharmacy. Mm -hmm. And um, they do so because they don't want on their medical records the fact that they've been prescribed naltrexone. Because if anybody looks up what naltrexone is for, it's as far as the FDA is concerned and the PDR, Mm -hmm. it is prescribed for alcoholism and opiate addiction, and who would who would pass a security clearance, or who would want to employ uh, somebody with that on their record? So people are very nervous about asking their doctors, and many doctors don't understand and refuse to prescribe, which is criminal in mm-hmm. in itself. But you know, there's this acceptance in this culture here now of being in AA or NA, like an insider club. So that's a bunch of crap that, you know, this uh, faith healing stuff is, uh, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod, we're in the special secret club. And I think that, there, you know, this just has to be, uh, I think what Claudia, when she, you know, she is making a documentary as well, and it's really all about this, and, and we'll, we need it. You know, I want to touch on it in my film, and I'm interviewing her, and she's interviewing me, but I think that... This book, you know, as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm just opening up and looking at some pages, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Like, here's on page 81. It says, straight thinking, undoing the myths. Like many problem drinkers and alcoholics, you may have come to believe the following about your addiction. You're hopelessly incurable. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. You have a weak, addictive personality, in quotes. Trying to control or reduce your drinking is a delusional pipe dream. In general, while about 10% of alcoholics are able to stop on their own, the only way to beat your drinking problem is through a total abstinence regime for the rest of your life. This means you must continually battle the demons that cause craving uh, through some form of willpower to achieve abstinence is your only realistic goal. Advanced alcoholism is usually a terminal illness. You were born an alcoholic. The only way to conquer alcoholism is to tough it out through the 12 steps, tough love, or a similar total abstinence program. Alcoholics must go through a rigorous, difficult detoxation and drying out process, and you have to come out of denial by hitting rock bottom before you will seek help. I mean, it says, until the discovery of the Sinclair Method, these statements made sense. Um, And I want to say that this uh, rigorous, difficult detox detox is that Bill Wilson and those earlier guys, the first 48 hours, they were higher than a kite on serious drugs. They did not go through uh, just quitting and taking one Valium. They were knocked out for 48 hours, and you can see uh, Dr. Bob's children uh, who were alive at the time who talked about the concoction that uh, Dr. Bob, the other co-founder, mixed up that they put them on. And that white light experience he had was not a spiritual experience. It was a drug-induced um, a spiritual whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. 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 Well, we have to undo these myths that you re- you just quoted from the book, and mm-hmm. um, people are not born alcoholic, and uh, it's something that is learned if they have the genetic predisposition, and th- all of this can be reversed, and we can restore the brain to the condition it was in before the addiction took root, took hold. Mm. Um, I am talking to Dr. Roy Escapa who wrote The Cure for Alcoholism. It is the medically proven way to eliminate alcohol addiction. It's a new book out. It's a new uh, edition of this with an introduction by Claudia Christian and a foreword by David Sinclair. And you are talking to us from London, right? But you normally live in Helsinki? No, um, I normally live uh, uh, in South Africa and... uh, various other countries, India. We've done a lot of work with the rural poor in India where they have a tremendous problem with alcoholism. Ah, can and you it, want to talk about it that? Worked, yeah. It worked as effectively among uh, the poor in rural India as it does in Helsinki, London, or New York because uh, human beings are human beings. And mm-hmm. um, uh, alcoholism is a problem throughout the world. According to the World Health Two and a half million people die every year as a direct result of alcoholism. It's yeah. massive. Oh. It's a massive problem. It's the biggest drain on U.S. society economically. Um, mm-hmm. A huge percentage of the 
prison population are there due to uh, an alcohol or drug-related, mainly it's alcohol, problem, um, whether it is violence that was caused by it mm -hmm. or whatever alcohol was involved. Yeah, the violence that uh, we see, especially even with this uh, murder case that uh, I'm documenting in my film, he was sent to AA for over 22 years and uh, was never you know, given uh, naltrexone or... So obviously, the guy was not going to stop drinking. You know, how many arrests he had. His rap sheet is 22 pages long. It's as thick as an inch and a half or something. But I, I do understand it's a problem because the police officers that are for the legalization of marijuana, they all say they'd rather pull over somebody with, you know, who's been smoking pot, not alcohol, because... Pot smokers never try to punch them or hurt anybody, and the people who are drunk are always trying to hit them, and they're violent. Hmm. Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends. Alcohol affects people in different ways. If if you if it's 9 a.m. in a laboratory in Helsinki on a Monday morning, um, and they get people um, intoxicated, so volunteers, to do MRI scans on their brain, uh, the very there's nothing much that happens to them. They don't feel euphoria. It's whatever the person tends to be feeling at the time. If they're feeling uh, talkative, alcohol will increase it. If they're feeling depressed, alcohol will increase it. If they're feeling happy, then you know it may intensify how they are feeling at the time. It affects individuals differently. There are enormous individual differences. Sometimes small amounts affect, affect some people much more. Others can take larger amounts. But the main thing is when people lose control over their drinking, and uh, that is where we need to become involved to um, help them with this medically proven technique, um, naltrexone one hour before drinking, and never take naltrexone on no drinking days. Mm-hmm. Because... Now, are you... Be... Yes, I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Because it, if you take naltrexone on no drink without drinking, it creates receptor super sensitivity. And uh, typically what happens is people stop taking the naltrexone, then they do have a drink, there's a release of endorphins, and it's even more powerfully reinforcing, thus worsening the addiction. This are you do, did you do when this came out this uh, new edition did you do a radio tour and a book tour of any kind in the United States? Well, I did some radio uh, with, with the first edition and one or two things for the second edition, but the publishers um, have not got a huge budget to to promote it. You need a huge budget to get the word across, and there has to be financial incentive, and that's There's been the problem. Right. Well, we do, we can do guerrilla marketing. You know, I mean, one of the things that I learned from you know being involved in music, I have some music on iTunes and made three albums and finished one and not really promoted it. But and also with this film, using social media and you know getting to people who uh, are going to get on talk shows and radio where you could be heard, where whether it's on NPR, maybe I could send you some links. I have been I on NPR. On, you on have the, uh, on uh -huh. the people's pharmacy, but um, you know it, there's so many things coming at people today through the internet. So much information overload. That's right. why many doctors don't even know about this. Uh, big pharmaceutical companies have huge budgets to um, promote on uh, radio and on television, which is illegal in the European states. You can't mm. do that. Uh, sleeping pills, new antidepressants, new cholesterol drugs. I mean, when I visit the U.S., I cannot believe how much advertising the pharmaceutical companies do, and that requires literally hundreds of millions of dollars worth of advertising to get, yeah. it, to get the thing. They should, they should turn it off. But you know who might be behind? Uh, this is sort of a different way of thinking about it, which be, um, you know, alcohol, beer companies where... You know, we're we're promoting to continue to drink and take the pill rather than become a prohibition society uh, where, you know, we're back to, like, you know, the late 
eighties and nineteen thirties here, which is nuts. So, uh, but you know, I think about it, and I'm tweeting now all kinds of people about my film exposing AA. That wouldn't hurt me to tweet about as long as you have a Twitter account. What's your Twitter account? Um, I think it's at now dot com, but I don't use Twitter myself. <laughs> we have to. Get you. Let's get you tweeting. (laughs) That's okay. I mean, there's people who you know do it and not do it, but I'm certainly learning about it, and uh, and they're doing it. And so you know, I I do think that there's a couple of shows that if you could get on there, that millions of people would hear about it. And then through the work I am doing with everybody, uh, which includes the same way that AA got big, and the first thing they did is they sent 250,000 postcards to physicians and then from there he met marty mann that got him in front of coca-cola and henry ford rockefeller who was a teetotaler which is explains a little bit why they got a push even though he didn't give him a lot of money um he introduced him to everybody so people who uh, you know who work in big companies if they have somebody who it's not working for they they want to know something real that's going to work they don't, you know, want to believe in, you know, the 1935 modality that's antiquated. So it's thinking in that term of a strategy that I'm thinking about because I'm not just doing this work, you know, uh, I'm just, it's not about money either for me. This is a passion project that we need to change the paradigm in the United States, that this needs to stop, that the Alcoholics Anonymous and NA is the way to go, and now you have SLO. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're going to send a pedophile and a sex offender and a rapist, and now you have like a pretty 30-something actress going there because she thinks she's loving somebody too much. It's nuts. So a science-based approach is growing. I mean, smart's growing a lot right now, and so is moderation management, and so is harm reduction, and so is women for sobriety. And I think that if we just, you know, we're talking now on my show, we can have you on again like in another month or six weeks or something like that and think about, uh, some strategy where you could be a speaker where, I mean, I know somebody who was a speaker for like a group of therapists in Arizona. They had some kind of a workshop. Or I send it to my therapist and she can forward, you know, a link to your, you know, the cover of your book with, uh, you know, maybe a couple of really great pages. Um, or like you said, they can download um, the book uh, for free or for very inexpensive amount. A lot of people have this kind of thing, and uh, that's the way, uh, you know, I think things need to happen. It just needs to, we need to promote you and your book, and I'll try that. <laughs> and uh, what what Lynn Yeffert said, who's the publisher, he said it would grow at the grassroots level, and it seems to be happening. You know, Claudia found the book, and it basically saved her life, this treatment, mm-hmm. so she's devoting her life to making it more well-known. Tomorrow I'm going to be interviewed by her for the documentary that she's making. And Mm. so more and more people will gradually find out about it. People themselves put together this thisinclairmethod.com site. Um, And, you know, you're doing your bit. And I'm willing to come and and talk and uh, be on any um, forum that will be effective. Well, I want to thank you uh, for being on my show. We've got 90 seconds to wrap it up. We have been talking to Dr. Roy Escapa for the cure for alcoholism, the medically proven way to eliminate alcohol addiction. Um, you can buy it on Amazon. It uh, looks like it's 16.95. It's a Ben Bella book. And um, I want to thank you so much, and uh, I will talk to you soon. We'll have you on again. Thank you very much. It's been thank most you. enlightening. Okay, thank you. We'll talk again. Good night. Good night. All right, everybody. So uh, we'll see you in two weeks. I'm going to do an upload of an old show next week. I'll be busy filming and interviewing people for the next few months as I finish working on my film, The 13th Step to Film. I'll be doing a show every other week live, and I encourage you to go and support uh, the 13th step to film on Indiegogo, uh, even $5. It's more about numbers. Uh, I'm going to finish the film no matter what, whether I fund it fully through Indiegogo 
or uh, get a private uh, film company to help support me make it. It's about finishing it, getting the word out, things like uh, the use of Naltrexone with Dr. Roy Escapa. It was really uh, interesting to talk to him and learn some more things about the truth, about uh, alcohol dependency and addiction. I want to thank you, Gunther, for calling in, as always, and everybody in the chat room and listening. And uh, there will be a show next week uploaded, but I will see you live in two weeks. And I want to thank you again. I'm Monica Richardson. See you next time.